strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat? Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute is an exercise we call the K-Box Break Squats. This is an exercise that's kind of modified from one that Chris Corfus demonstrated in his sensational presentation at the seminar. To set up the K-Box for this, we use a belt, and we're going to make sure that the strap is long enough for us to get into full triple extension all the way up on our big toes. From there, we're going to sit into a squat and spin the wheel, and we're going to drive as hard as we can up. The goal of this exercise, then, is to keep our posture up, drive ourselves up as hard as we can, and then stop as fast as possible without our heels hitting the ground. What we love about this exercise is how it trains that braking force and for you to be strong in that stopping position to help carry over to change the direction of agility drills. Give this one a try. I'm sure it's one that your athletes will love and definitely see how it can be beneficial to their performance. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Kareem, thank you so much for spending the time with us today, man. Definitely. Thanks for having me, Jay. Yeah, dude. I'm stoked for this. It's great to catch up a little bit here. It's great to talk. It's great to see that you're doing well, you know, up in the north here. But before we get too far into this, for the half of a human who doesn't know who you are and where you're at, let's uh, let everybody know what's going on, bud. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's going to be a very brief and, and humble description. I know a lot of the folks that you chat with have amazing backgrounds and and they're doing great things now. So first of all, thanks so much for, for the invite. And, and I really appreciate you hosting this. So thank you. Um, gosh, myself, very briefly, my, my current role, and I'll, I'll mention that and then just kind of work from the beginning. My current role is client success manager for Evolved Performance, as well as kind of being the Northeast regional representative for the company. Uh, but we'll get to that in, in a minute. And I'm, and I'm sure a lot of what we'll talk about today is based on those kind of experiences. But my background, uh, exercise physiology, excuse me, uh, I don't even know my degrees, um, sports science, undergrad, ex-phys, master's, uh, did a couple of years also with post-grad research in neurophysiology in University of Colorado Boulder. And aside from that, a few years working in, in the MLS as a head fitness coach for, for Portland and for Dallas a couple of years international consulting work for athletes performance now exos and there was something a couple i'd say two or three years total working in different sports performance and or rehab centers as well so kind of that that hybrid environment of not just the medical side not just the performance side but how those two kind of work together and um and kind of play off of one another 
Um, aside from that, uh, have a bit of background as well in teaching uh, undergrads in neurophysiology and exercise physiology at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, as well as University of Colorado. And yeah, those are kind of the, the broad strokes. I know I might be missing one or two things there, but hopefully it'll come out in the discussion. <laughs> yeah, dude. No, but I think that one thing that's really neat with, with your past is that, you know, a lot of people look when it comes to like the, the bigger, more powerful tech and they're like, well, but that's just a sports scientist or that's just a PhD or that's just whatever, but you're a coach. Yeah. Someone who's been a practitioner and has understood and still understands what people that are in the trenches, as we like to say, go through on a daily basis. Yeah. So let's talk about that evaluatory process when it comes to a coach and where the tech kind of fits in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned that I, I remembered and I, I hope none of them are watching, but I was uh, with the University of Colorado uh, women's soccer and tennis programs. Uh, wonderful university, uh, great people I worked with. So can't say, can't say enough positive stuff about them. So please forgive me if, if anybody is watching that, because <laughs> I said Colorado in my head, so I put a check mark there, but the, those two roles were concurrent, uh, the postgrad stuff and, and whatnot. Yeah, so you bring up a great question. Um, the idea of sports technology, data, information, but then also kind of where the rubber meets the road or actual practitioners and what, what they might be doing uh, in, in a real world or, or more uh, applied context. Yeah, that's that's a that's definitely a, an ongoing or, or a large topic, and it's only gotten more important as the access to technology has increased, as the price points have decreased, but then also the diversity of technology has also increased. So we have more access to more more different and unique things to track a whole bunch of different stuff these days, but then the the price points and the, the myth around, okay, this is, ah, this is too complicated or we would need a dedicated one or two staff members to, to be able to decipher this, uh, the turnaround times too long, so on and so forth. All of that is kind of converging and, and working in such a way to make technology and data processing really uh, accessible to a lot of folks. Um, and so, especially in the last, I would say five to 10 years uh, in particular, we see data that's coming in, information that hopefully will be able to drive uh, actionable and informed decision-making moving forward. So for me, it's, it's often been a discussion of kind of a, a three-step scenario. So in, in step one, essentially we have an assessment or data collection or some sort of information that's coming in. And then I'll fast forward to step three in where do we wanna get this individual? Uh, does he or she need to improve on a performance side and or is it a rehab question? Essentially the idea is where are they now? Where will they need to be or, or where am I working towards? That can be stepwise progressions that could be kind of end result. But then the step in the middle is what we as practitioners can, can do to get them there. So I think that the, the model essentially doesn't work with just two of those pieces. All three of them need to be there. Now, you could sacrifice the first piece, information gathering, testing, asking questions, but then essentially you would literally be copying and pasting or creating a program 100% blind. I mean, even someone who spends five minutes with an athlete can say, okay, this, 
very, very, like the very surface of it, this person's very tall and very, uh, we, we just have them stand on a scale and say, okay, this person's X amount of pounds or this person's built in such a way. There's information that we can get and that's probably like ground zero. Like that's the very simple, just have a look at the person and, and be able to understand some information there. But then the further we go, I think the better uh, we are to create a more well-informed and more effective step two, which is the program creation. So we'll ask questions, we'll collect data. That could be whether it's a, a baseline situation. So, okay, day one of preseason, let's get some numbers and see how we're doing. Uh, when I start to talk about vault performance and the technologies that we have, especially with something like force, excuse me, uh, force Dex, so our force plate system or any kind of bilateral system, we can look at end results like vertical jump height, we could look at peak power per pound, so on and so forth. But then if we also say, that's, that's all good and well, but what are some of the more unique attributes? So then we start talking about movement strategy. We start talking about asymmetries. We start talking about uh, unique uh, physical or anthropometric constraints or situations that this person needs to manage and how that affects movement strategy to then get that physical capacity or that max output. So, you know, all of these considerations, I think, come together and try to help us ideally or support us and create a more informed, comprehensive program, but then also monitor that and kind of go back and forth and make adjustments as we need moving forward in order to get us to step three, which is kind of the end result or uh, where we would like to keep moving towards. It's not, you know, uh, an all or nothing sum. And I think that the, the ones who do it best understand that it's a cyclical process. Um, and so we kind of, we ask questions, we collect data, we get information, uh, we go ahead and, and, and adjust or implement the kind of training strategy that we have. And then we kind of ask the question, okay, where are we in terms of where we'd like to be and where we're working towards? And then we just keep that going in a cycle. Um, so I think that as practitioners, we have access to a lot of information, but the challenge now becomes deciding what is, is pertinent and, and where, we, where we would have the most return on investment or where is the biggest uh, benefit for us, whether it's you know, a financial investment or resources investment or person hours in, invested, et cetera. Um, so that's, you know, hopefully that's a little bit of an introduction to my thought process because I definitely, it's a very simple model and it kind of branches out from there, but it's very much, we ask questions, we create a program, we see what the result was, and then we kind of repeat that, uh, that process. Yeah. And I think all too often strength coaches just want to do number two. Yeah. They just want to write the program and they don't, because they start collecting data and they don't really know what to do with it. So they don't know how to interpret it at the end. So they just look at it and they're like, Ah, they jumped. And then what do you do? Yeah, and, yeah, right. Right. Yeah. So then when you look at it, and you're advising people, and you're looking at data, and you're trying to work across, like, multiple sports through multiple platforms, like, you get the mm -hmm. opportunity to, where do you see the, do you see the issues with step one or step three, and then how do you guide people to have a better, I don't know if understanding is the word, or is it just willingness to be vulnerable to ask the questions and to look at the answers? 
Mm. Yeah. Um, you're 100% right about a lot of practitioners that may be very focused on step two, kind of their programming and their implementation of it. Um, I don't think anyone would stand up and say, yeah, I disregard step one because I mean, if I wrote a program for, for someone, I wouldn't say, okay, well, I guess we'll start them at a 250 pound deadlift for three RM. I, I, I would have to have some information and even that counts as step one. But then the question becomes like, how far do they believe in going into the details of step one, the information gathering and the monitoring aspect of it. And as, as a, as a progression of, off of that, do they have an understanding of what they should be looking for? And if so, do they know like more specifically about what they should look for? So for example, to put into context, um, if I am dealing with a high level basketball player, I understand very, very much of the sport demands, not as much as, as someone like yourself, who's been working in that field hands-on for, for quite some time, but certainly enough for me to be able to understand, okay, maybe I don't need to do you know, neck flexion and uh, kind of assessments or testing for maximum strength. Now, if I was working with a boxer, I mean, absolutely, because that's a whole different, whole different shebang, right? Um, but essentially, it's about understanding the environment this person needs to perform in, what the level is, and then that leads us, okay, let's ask the question, where are they, where are they now? And then how can we get them to where we'd like them to be? The, 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 uh, the discussion is just a little bit different with a rehab example, but I think the terms transfer very similar. Where are they now? Where do they need to be? And that's, that's clear cut. Um, with individuals who, have, who get stuck on step, step two, kind of the programming part of it, I would encourage them to find... The, the, the least amount of questions they need to ask to get the most return or the most uh, benefit of what that information tells us. Because again, if we're looking at a first or second year um, assistant strength coach in a collegiate environment, uh, and I'm just you know kind of going off my own experience and, and what I understand things to be, um, sometimes they're charged with, with dealing with several several teams. And so a lot of times it, it, it's, a, it's a challenge for them to ask certain questions and get certain information because they're, off, they're often a one, one person show where they have to handle the sports science side, the strength and conditioning side, the recovery side, et cetera, whether or not they do or don't travel, whether or not they're in an environment where it's, it's almost, it might not be uh, completely stated, but it might be implied that they are meant to focus on one program over another or the priorities of in-season pro, in, in programs, if they overlap, it might be, okay, well, this person kind of is primarily over here. Then what about the other program, whether it's as quote unquote high profile or, or not? Um, we're still dealing with, in this case, student athletes who have a certain objective and, and they're certainly starting at, a, at, at where they're at. But you know, in, in us asking questions and finding out, okay, what is the most return I can have on time invested analyzing data, that's important for us to get an accurate step one and, and collect the right data. So for me, um, if I were to continue with the basketball example, for instance, I would say, okay, for, for that particular sport, if we do a counter movement jump, for example, hands on hips, just dip down, jump up as high as you can. It, it's about, okay, 
that that test you can get three reps literally in 30 seconds uh, so time shouldn't be a concern now I'm, I'm saying this is for if an individual chose to go down and, and invest in that sort of information and technology gathering system and, and get two force plates so time shouldn't be that much of a concern with certain software the return on or excuse me the uh the turnaround for that information gathering is, is super quick it's inst instantaneous so what we could see is, okay, we've got information. Let's go ahead and focus on just a few metrics. We don't need to go into the hundreds of metrics, for example, the force decks, that Forstex has. Um, let's just pick something like RSI modified, which is jump height divided by contraction time. So let's say somebody can jump 36 inches, so three feet off the ground and needs only a fraction of a second to do it. Then that's the person I want underneath the basket getting boards when it counts. That's the person who's going to make the play. If somebody needs, you know, let's say I'm exaggerating, of course, two and a half or three seconds to jump six inches off the ground, that's not a really good return. So we want a high vertical jump with a very low required time to execute the, move, uh, the movement or the maneuver. So RSI modified is a great metric. Another one might be something like peak power per pound. So that way we can have information that we can compare across the whole team because obviously if I compare a center to a point guard and we're having, I'm trying to draw the picture of the largest difference possible uh, in terms of height, in terms of weight uh, and some other, some other characteristics that might not be very fair because that's gonna be completely different um, or maximum or like force at peak uh, or peak force output, something like that. Then obviously the person who weighs heavier has a head start and might actually inflate or lead us to believe this person's at a higher level of performance than someone else is much, much lighter. So whenever I can, I try to look at uh, information or data that's relative because that will allow me to look at them day one of preseason compared to the middle of preseason towards the end of preseason. So as their body weight fluctuates, as they're getting leaner and leaner or putting on more muscle and or putting on more muscle mass, you know, per pound or per kilo, what's the return on that? So peak force per pound, uh, peak power per pound, so on and so forth. So the RSI mod is a great metric because it's relative to a couple different pieces, jump height and time needed. Uh, anything that's relative to body weight is fantastic. Um, so those are, those are the kind of pieces that I would look at, but those, those are all relative to individuals, but then also sports. So obviously, you know, we're going to expect a certain level of power from a starting wide receiver than uh, let's say a, uh, a particular, let's say diver, let's say diver. Those numbers are gonna be different because obviously the, the sports are worlds apart pretty much. Um, however, the one thing we can hang our hat on as far as step one and, and data collection are asymmetries because those are gonna be the same for different athletes, different positions, so on and so forth. If someone has a 30% asymmetry on a key metric that we've identified, that's an issue. And it doesn't matter if they're on, on on the diving board or if they're on the field. Uh, that's, that's a big one. But still we can have this idea of pre, like day one of preseason, middle of preseason, how that progresses moving forward. But then also it could be uh, pre-injury, post-injury. Like how, how are we progressing back to at least the level that they were at, if not hopefully more, because that initial level might have not been strong enough or uh, balanced enough and it kind of opened them up or put them at higher risk for an injury uh, or whatever happened. Um, so, you know, I, I know that I, I've put in a few different thought processes or, or ideas in, in that response of how 
individuals who might focus on step two, which is just programming how they might, you know, find the willingness or the, uh, the impetus, right, to include the, the kind of step one of data collection, because step three is going to happen naturally, you, you'll see what the result is. But obviously, we want to understand the result as a function of where we want them to be compared to, you know, other, other factors. But, you know, if someone is daunted by, okay, well, I'm not entirely sure if I want to go into highly detailed avenues of data collection, it could be something as simple as, as a few of the things that I mentioned. Or if they say, okay, well, you know, we have, uh, it could be a wellness questionnaire. It could be GPS data. That's, that's huge right now and a requirement for most, most environments um, that I've worked in for sure. And, and as I said, as, it, as it's becoming more and more accessible, you'll see more and more GPS options moving uh, for people. Uh, I'm sorry, opening up for folks. And yeah, I think so long as they collect data and, and understand what they're looking at, then the motivation should come naturally if they understand what it means and, and how it can help. Well, even if you don't understand what it means, I think that the bigger aspect of it, when you get started with it, is people get angry because what they want to have happen. Because strength coaches, for the most part, are very bioptic, mm -hmm. right? It's, I do X, I get Y. I want to do A, I get B. Mm -hmm. But what they miss is that at times, you're, that's not gonna happen. That's not how it works. And especially, even when you look at metrics like the versus body weight, you know, the peak power, ver, you know, over kilos, it's not going to be a constant number across all athletes that you're looking to hit. Mm -hmm. And I think that all too often, whether it be athlete tracking, whether it be jump monitoring, whether it be readiness monitoring or wellness questionnaires, or even as simple as just like body weight, we're programmed to think if X do Y. Hmm. And it's just not quite that bioptic. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree for sure. Um, I think that a lot of that programming is based on sound principles, but it, it has simplified it to such a level that it becomes dangerous to simply say, okay, well, X, then we have to do Y. But if we ask relevant questions and it, it could be a very short uh, process, it could be a little bit more information than simply uh, the bioptic or the binary sort of approach that a lot of folks take, but the, and not, and it's not the more questions we ask or the more data we have, the better, because obviously you can, you can drown in that pretty easy. Um, but if we ask the right ones and get a little bit more information that might steer us away from, from that outcome or that intervention that we might've wanted to take. And that, and that comes in different forms. You know, we've talked a little bit right now about certain systems out there or certain options for data collection, whether it's force plates, whether it's GPS or, or something simple like a, a wellness questionnaire that's administered, some sort of information is coming in. And so long as we're able to distill and identify the ones that have the most return, I think we'd be doing ourselves a favor and not, I'll say spinning our wheels, but essentially putting in the effort into something that might not get us where we want to go. 
So if we ask a little bit or get a, one or two information streams coming in, then we can we can go ahead and and get a better idea of if this is the right course of action or not. Um, and I think we should also. I, I've, I'm I'm really big on this. I have to be honest with you. I'm very big on collaboration, and I'm very big on having a, a teamwork or a team environment behind the team or behind the program. Um, I certainly know the things that I know and I've got the experiences that I've got. And I hope that I can bring that to, I've hoped in the past and, and I have always been able to, and happy to uh, bring that to the table and say, hey, here's what I can do. Here's what I think, here's my opinion. Let's work together, talk about this, so on and so forth. Because that, that kind of open communication and that kind of, okay, hey, I'm not, there's no ego here. Let's, let's not say, so, so long as we understand our framework of where our professional responsibilities lie and we're professional and courteous and, and ethical in, in every sense of those three words, I think that we're putting ourselves in a great position to strengthen the, the backroom staff to help each individual athlete or patient or, uh, or client and support them in achieving what they are hoping to achieve. And in doing so, I think that we strengthen we strengthen our resolve to handle the curveballs that come at us in the future. But once we start getting into silos or departments or folks that for one reason or another aren't really feeling with working with somebody or, or another department, then that's always going to be tricky. Um, and, you know, we're all we're all people and we, we deal with certain things and we all got our own backgrounds and whatnot. But I think at the base, if there's a mutual respect, if there's a mutual buy-in to collaborative and comprehensive support, care, performance training, rehab, et cetera, then I think a lot of the communication issues are not there to begin with, or they, they crumble once we, we start to have a bit of a foothold and understanding of, of how interpersonal uh, relationships develop in that setting. But then also we see that, okay, I don't know too much about this particular aspect. Oh, but so-and-so does. Okay, now I understand better. I've grown as a practitioner and a person. And it also gives the individual and the team a more comprehensive approach to it. Um, so I think that that's a huge part. And you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. So it's not that I have all the answers or anybody else has all the answers, but it's how well do we come together to come up with answers? Um, and like you said, move away from a binary. Okay, well, this, then this. But someone might say, hey, you know, I used to work in this one environment, da, 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 da. this is what I think. Or someone say, hey, I don't know anything about, you know, uh, uh, hamstring testing or, or hamstring strength. But then, oh, the physio who actually, you know, um, used to do, or physio, I'm sorry, the ATC, a trainer, uh, he used to do a whole lot of work with uh, track and field in, in this one particular university or whatnot. You know, she knows a whole lot about it. So it's just about understanding and not saying, okay, well, this is my this is my thing. Like, I don't want you to look at the GPS info. That's my thing. I, you know, CC people in, in everything and in, in communications. If don't blow up their inbox, but if you send a report to, to someone or have a chat about something, you know, I think it's important to let people feel included and, and respected and heard. And then, you know, a lot of, a lot of great things can come from that. I think that you said a lot of really important stuff right there. And what it comes back to is all too often, I think we work in a, in a vocation in sport where due to the lack of job security, people are afraid to be vulnerable. 
And mm. when you're afraid to be vulnerable and you're afraid to say, I need help, then you're even more afraid to collaborate because you look weak, if you may. Yeah. And you yeah, run and hide from that. Where if you came into the our new office, you would see that like, it's really nice dry erase board. Mm. Like the first thing is it's, because of all this COVID garbage, we haven't been able to sit down, but like the four of us, the two strength coaches and the two sports med practitioners with basketball, it's like, we need to define terms before we start. And there's like, before we even go anywhere, we need to define what's an assessment, what's uh, a measurement and, and what's it mean to assess, measure and monitor. Because yeah. an assessment in sports medicine may mean something different than to us. But if we're going to move forward, we it starts with us having the same definitions. Because mm -hmm. if we don't have definitions and we don't have ideas of terminology, then how are we going to have the ability to communicate and then figure out what assessment is important? What monitoring is important? How often are you going to do it? What is it going to impact? And all too often... We want to fight about vernacular, but we don't want to sit down across the table and come up with those definitions, let alone, heaven forbid, we bring another person from our staff or another person from the outside in and say, audit this. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In my personal experience, that's where I've, you know, being totally transparent, that's where I've been the most effective and also on a personal level the happiest and felt the most satisfied and the most um uh i was gonna say complete it's like jerry Maguire, <laughs> like the most like you know feeling good everything's positive everything's moving forward is when i've worked with other staff members closely or when they have approached me and said hey you know love what you do with the gps or this and that da, 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 da you know, could you share some ideas or could you explain this report? And then it also goes the other way. I, I go to staff members or colleagues and say, hey, I love what you're doing here. Can I, can I help? Can I support? Can you explain this and that to me? Um, I think it gets very, it unfortunately gets very prickly or uncomfortable if folks for one reason or the other, just uh, things happen, you know, what, what can you do? But I think if it starts off that way, or if the person has a conception or, or a notion that that's their wheelhouse or that's what they do, or they, like you said before, folks can get a little bit defensive or don't want to show that, that vulnerability or like, I'm not entirely sure about this, then they say, okay, I'm just going to own this and that's going to be my thing. That's where it gets a little bit possessive. And that's where it can become, uh, it can not merge. It can be, it can evolve into a, a toxic relationship but hopefully not a toxic environment um and i've you know i've, I've heard of situations like that and, and seen that myself and that's not that's not fantastic um but i i 100 agree with you that you know if we do have staff members that are there together and, and and able to say hey let's work together and we can we can really really make this something amazing then that's that's a great way to go for sure um i think one one name that jumps out for me just in, in hearing you talk and, and understanding uh, your, your viewpoint on it is um, Jill Zeller. 
she's at USC right now. Uh, oh gosh, like, I can't say enough positive things about her as a person, but from what I've seen and heard as her, her as a coach as well. Um, I've, I've never obviously been an athlete of hers, uh, but I think a lot of her success, of a lot of the good things that people say about her is, I mean, gosh, just the personality is so positive and so energetic. And so like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or let's collaborate on that. Like, I, I honestly could not get enough of that if I was working with a, with a colleague or another staff member like that. So I'm always 100% in for that. And I mean, the folks who reach out to me, <clears throat> excuse me, at Vald know that like, I'm happy to help and happy to support. Like whether it's step one, like, okay, how do I turn this particular system on? Or, you know, how do I turn the force plates on? All the way, all the way up to, you know, what are some more in-depth monitoring things or some super specific, hey, you know, what I don't like about this metric is that it actually analyzes the force at this particular time. And why can't the software do this? And da, 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 da. I don't get too many questions like that because we're pretty comprehensive in, in terms of in terms of software. Um, but it's more about just being present and supportive and helping folks through a journey of how they get to where they want to be in terms of understanding or, or collecting information on the people they are responsible for the health and well-being of. And I think that's why in my particular position right now, I'm super satisfied and, and happy and content is because I understand what it's like being a practitioner and having questions and saying, dang, you know, it'd be really cool to, to, to feel that I'm supporting the people that I'm responsible for in a more effective way. Obviously, you want to spend, you know, 15 hours a day looking at data. So how can I get, again, the most return on investment, understand these metrics, you know, several names and institutions and, and teams come to mind right now where they reach out or they call or they text and say, hey, Kareem, what do you think about this? Or here's a snapshot of someone's data. Or, you know, let me send you a file. Can you please let me know what you, what you think about that? It's always been from a place of professionalism and courtesy and respect and that, if they take a step forward towards me like that, then it only helps me or, or makes me want to take two steps towards them. You know, so I think that's something a lot of times in the performance field, if I, if I bring it back full circle is, is lacking. And one thing that I think people like Jill uh, or like Megan, uh, Megan Young in Chicago doing her thing, like folks like that are super smart and experienced and wonderful, wonderful people at the very base of it. So you could, you know, drop them off at a Dairy Queen to be assistant night shift manager and everyone's going to love them. Oh my God, this person's so amazing. Because it comes from who they are and then it just kind of branches out to that. If they worked at the garden center at Home Depot, people will say, still, say the same thing about them. But it comes from the core of who you are and then it branches out after that. We're just lucky enough to have them in sports performance. Um, but that's a couple couple names that come to mind of people who, who do it well and, you know, can talk the talk, but then are also wonderful collaborators and, and excellent practitioners themselves. That's awesome. And it's great to hear the names, Megan Young and Jill Zeller. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that wasn't, that was not a paid sponsorship. Yeah. Or no, paid. I know. <laughs> and and uh, I'm a, everybody knows I'm a huge Megan Young fan. I love her. I think that she's absolutely sensational. And the only thing, I mean, I've known Jill shoot since before she was even at BC or at uh, Wake Forest. Wake Forest. Yeah. Uh, the only thing better than Jill is her Instagram handle. Jill the machine. <laughs> the machine. machine I love it. <laughs> and I can't, you know, now that you bring her up, I can't believe that I'm like, 
300 shows in and I haven't had her on. I've got to make that happen. But I think yeah. too that you brought up another really Jill. So if you're listening, like hit me up. Um, we got to get that down. But um, you know, another thing too to think about with that cream is, and I think that when we talk about that inability, if we may, to be vulnerable, I think that that's really how I would define it. What I think we're worried about when we look at other areas in sport, like sports matter, your physio or your physical therapist, is that that lens that they look at is so different that the the final goal is going to be so different. But at the end of the day, if we're going to sit here and listen to like a Charlie Weingrub, who's a great strength coach and a great therapist, and say that training and rehab are similar, and these people have a slightly different education, but like, you think that your athletic trainer wouldn't, when you say, all right, so eccentric rate of force development, or, you know, eccentric peak power, or concentric impulse you know, over body weight, like when you sit there and you explain it to them, that different lens, at least for me, and I'm, I'm really lucky to have Adam and Sarah because they're freaking studs. And, and Beecher too is very, very helpful when we talk about these things. But like that different lens, all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, I missed that. You know, and it's not like, it's not like you jerk. It's like, yeah, that's something like, even if it's just as little as like, well, with basketball players, maybe their concentric impulse isn't as great, you know, or their, their um, peak force of takeoff isn't that great because their big toes don't work great. Mm. Maybe we need to work on being able to get full extension and toe off so that that can last and that can be that more hit to mm-hmm. it. Well, why wouldn't you listen to that? I mean, it's not like you're going to sit here and take six hours a week and work nothing more than great toe mobility. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's a warm up exercise. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Um, as we're, as we're chatting here, I'm, I'm trying to pull up a, a little a note. Um, but for me, that, that kind of, that rings, uh, rings true with, with a book that I read once, very short, uh, easy read. It's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And I, you've read that. Yeah, great. I think it was, it's Daniel Coyle, Daniel Coyne. I can't recall, one of the two. Um, in any case, it kind of highlights these five dysfunctions, these five um, progressive ailments that can be found within any group it doesn't have it's not like a professional sports team or something like that it could be a, a group of colleagues that work at a particular factory whatever the case is but the foundation of that is is trust so you know i was going to kind of look at the details it's been a little while since i've revisited it but um, essentially it all starts with trust so if there's trust then the next step up would be like the the communication the freedom to be heard to be uh you know, if I trust individuals and I feel comfortable in sharing my opinion, um, but if not, if there's mistrust, then you won't be sharing your opinion and your thoughts. Therefore, it kind of leads to inattention to results or 
you know, kind of like, okay, well, you guys didn't listen to me. So whatever happens, win, lose, or draw, like I have no buy-in into this. So there's different layers to it, but um, I, I agree with that for sure. In that, you know, if we're able to have that foundation and, and, and move forward from that, then everything is just, we have that much more opportunity for success, but then we also increase our in job, in position within individual satisfaction and, and fulfillment. Because I think obviously the X's and O's are important and wins of course, and, and also injury rates and so on and so forth. And however we choose to define success, but then a lot of times I think we sleep on, we, we disregard that interpersonal success or we, when I say we disregard it, because obviously each of us lives it every day and we have, our, we have an evaluation of what that is for us each day. But I think that we um, devalue it in, in some regard a lot of times. And I mean, shoot, we can just go to town about how things have been different the last year, of course. I mean, you hardly have as much contact or, or time together as, as before. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm going off of, of my previous experiences that were pre-March 2020. <laughs> Dude, no doubt. And I think, too, that if you look at that pyramid, I think people automatically think that that trust issue would be like Kareem and Jay trusting each other. Yeah. Where the biggest disconnect, I think, happens in sports is the fact that Jay doesn't trust Jay. And that's what he's really afraid of. Yeah. That's a good point. Um yeah, so yeah, that book that I was referencing, uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, I think is a very, very effective read. It's a, it's a slim, short read. Uh, it's told in kind of a narrative, very easy to follow format. So it, it's a quick read. Um, but essentially, it, it kind of describes a, a pyramid whereby absence of trust is the foundation of it's like dysfunction number one or issue number one that could happen within a group of individuals tasked or, or uh, responsible for looking after a set of goals or a set of responsibilities. So if there's absence of trust, like I don't trust this individual. And it kind of, you know, a side note, it kind of led me to look up and understand the actual definition or working definitions of trust. And it was very interesting. And it said that, well, I think one, one resource that I found, trust was my personal ability to predict what the behavior or actions of another person would be in a given context or situation. So for example, you and me, Jay, like, okay, uh, I, I can't drop off the rent check this month. Can I please give you the thousand dollars or whatever to drop it off at the bank? Cause I know you, you work right by there, whatever the case is. I trust that you will not take that money and take off and, and go buy a, a PlayStation five because you and I have a history together. We're friends, so on, so on, so on and so forth. Um, so that was kind of interesting, like the, the, the ability, uh, the aptitude to predict what somebody else might do, given the history that you've got with that person and understanding the context of that. So if there's absence of trust, like, I, I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't know how this person's going to react. I, I fear conflict, which is the next one. So I don't want to have um, an open, honest discussion where there's mutual respect and we kind of exchange ideas. If, if you don't make your voice heard, and you don't feel a part of things, then that turns into lack of commitment. So you say, okay, well, I'm apathetic at this point. Like, it doesn't matter win, lose, or draw. Okay. And if we do lose, that's step number four, avoidance of accountability. 
well, yeah, I know we lost, or yeah, I know this player uh, got injured, or uh, this particular client is not rehabbing in, in the manner that we would like to see, for example. Um, but, you know, no one listened to my ideas or someone glanced over them and, uh, and, and it was passed over. So finally, inattention to results. So whatever happens, uh, you know, don't look at me. I wasn't involved in the process. So that's, that's kind of a tough, you know, that's a very quick synopsis of the book, but it, it does, it does a, good will, a good way of, of describing some more of those aspects in detail. Um, I think that if we address just that first part, then it alleviates a whole lot. So that comes back to what you were saying before about our ability to own and be comfortable with and say, it's okay to not know something or um, it's all right that someone else can shine. You know, it doesn't have to be that I'm always going to be the person who kind of champions everything and like, oh, he's, oh yeah, Kareem this and that, da, da, da. it doesn't have to be about that. You know, it's, it's all, we're an orchestra and, you know, some of us, we have, obviously we've got different instruments, but then when we come together and it's harmonious, then that's when it sounds the best, you know, and sometimes people have little breakouts where they might shine and, you know, we call that a solo. Um, but then we all kind of come back together and we're all playing from a particular sheet of music and we're hoping that the end result would be a, a nice piece of music or something that achieves what, what, sadness or happiness or whatever it's it's meant to invoke so you know if someone were interested in understanding a little bit more of how their uh, intergroup inter workings pan out or what why is this person acting this way or what's this reaction from if they I think if they read that then they would understand a little bit more at least of the basis or uh, where they might find themselves in certain contexts I did that to be honest with you like I read that and I was like dang I remember this person from years and years ago in a particular situation and that's how that meeting played out you know interesting you know so kind of like as I was reading it I thought oh this one situation here this other situation there um, and, and I'm, I'm better for it because I understand a bit better of where someone might be coming from. And so it's, it's made me more sensitive to that. Yeah. And then all that ends up doing is helping drive better conversations yeah. and yeah. all of that. Yeah. That's, that's hopefully the end result. No doubt, man. But listen, Kareem, let me get you out of here with this, man. Where can people keep up with you? Where can they get in touch with you? Where can they find out more about what you're working with, with everything you're doing up there? Yeah, um, I think, you know, I'm not super active on Instagram, but you can find me on there. Uh, first name, K-A-R-I-M, and then the first four letters of my last name, D-E-R-Q. So I think, is, I don't know if you put an at symbol on that, um, but it's Kareem, K-A-R-I-M-D-E-R-Q. Uh, so it's like slightly personal and professional uh, account that I've got there. Otherwise, you can always reach out to me at, at Vald. Uh, so that's K.D-E-R-Q at Vald dot com that's v as in victor vald that's the that's the wonderful company that i that i work for and and work with and you can always catch him on his awesome four stacks four stacks metric minutes <laughs> well i wasn't going to mention that because everybody on here probably listens to that anyway oh, so they yeah, know I hope so i hope so because <laughs> if not they should <laughs> yeah and they're answering a lot of questions and helping a lot of people get better man so truly oh, grateful for everything you're doing bro and then Truly grateful for your time, man. It's great to see you. It's great to see you doing well, and I can't thank you enough for your time today. No, you too, Jay. Thanks for everything you do, and yeah, man, please please stay in touch. Let me know if you need anything else. You know, I'm always here. <laughs> Will do, brother. Appreciate <laughs> thank your time, you. man. Cheers. Sure thing. Take care. Yeah, man.